0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now.
1: Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number.
0: To Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night. Come in. Come in and be welcome. No, I'm not afraid of vampires. At least, none of you are vampires, new to the nook, and to Tales to Terrify, which this is, and I, your host, Santoro Lawrence P., ask you to unwrap, choose a beverage, warm or chilled, scoop a bowl of snack, find a partner for to snuggle with tonight, because tonight, tonight we have music, and a tale that will chill. So, as you prepare for the evening— Let me ask, was I a bit brusque in shuffling you into the nook last week? A bit brisk, perhaps, in shooing you out? You have my apologies. It was cold for the first time this season. We're saving heat, and Mahler, the ink-black—well, you know who Mahler is by now. Mahler always tries to scamper when the door is open for too long. So, winters, we try to keep the place shut, tight. As much as possible. And it is coyote mating season, so I'm told. People are being warned. Chicagoans are being warned about coyotes on the side streets and in the alleys. It's mating season. (laughs) The coyotes, the city has released, so to keep down the rat and vole and bunny populations, well, they've been neutered, so I'm told, so... Maybe they're just out for a little (laughs) fun, hmm? during the season, yes? Well, okay, are we settled? Yes, good. Okay, we shall have a bit of, let's call it bookkeeping. And have you noticed that bookkeeping and its companion word, bookkeeper, are the only two words in the English language with three consecutive double letters, have you, hmm? Well anyway, I've gone tangential again, Facebook friends know uh we are considering doing a multi-part show this year, mayhap two or three more multi-part shows I, and I'm not talking about what we did last year with the multi-part Bram Stoker short fiction nominee shows. Yes, depending on the kindness of the authors, we will do that again this year, but no, no, I mean one story served up over two or more shows. I put it out there and offered a choice between H.P. Lovecraft or William Hope Hodgson. and Some whippersnappers cracked back and suggested works by others, so we'll consider those. See what happens. I wanted to open up the discussion to you, you who come to the Nook, but not necessarily to our Facebook page or to the forum. Whose longish work would you like to hear serialized? hmm? Well, let us know. Awards. Well, none. Two nominations so far for our efforts here in the Nook. No clear victories. One, the recently concluded This Is Horror Award for Podcast of the Year, went to Neighbors, actually, uh, to the rather wonderful show Booked. I find that one of the two leading men in the effort is one Rob Olson, who used to live just down the way from here, Broadway in Melrose, Chicago. I recommend you have a listen to Booked. The show is, as they say, two guys talking about the books they've read, and the talking is really quite excellent. So go have a listen. It's at www.bookedpodcast.com. That's B-O-O-K-E-D. P-O-D-C-A-S-T, all one word, dot com. You'll like it. But, come back now, you hear? Oh, yeah. We were runner-up. First runner-up. I don't believe there were second or third runners-up, so that makes us the second prettiest babe on the beach. Excellent. And thank you to all who voted. Music. We don't do this often. Maybe we don't do it often enough. But Cher Eves, Tales to Terrify's co-editor, has presented me with the following piece. It's by a group called the Raynaux. Uh, That's French. It's a family name. Let me spin this up. And it goes out to you, Cher, and all the kids over at the... Well, (laughs) nah. Here are the Raynaux, or is that... Here is the Reynolds with Waiting on the Body.
4: Too proud just to be a reaction You'll try your hand at better things And watch the snow fall down
0: So, you know, the Raynos are a local band down there where Cher lives. They are a kind of family business, playing pubs and weddings down in Tennessee, Kentucky. The lead singer, Ashley, is a cousin to the lead guitar man, Steve, and his brother, Dave, who's the drummer. The Raynos call their kind of music Americana. Waiting on the Body is from their first album, Room for Roses. A second album is in the works, and the band plans to tour when it is completed and available. You can find them at theraynose.com or on Facebook. And if you're on their turf, you can book them by emailing Music at gmail.com. That'll be at the bottom of the page on our homepage, too. So, there it is. Oh, yes. I the book. Tales to Terrify. Volume 1. You'll love it, and it's nearly Valentine's Day. Makes a great and loving gift. Tales to Terrify, Volume 1. Fiction. I have mentioned this several times before. One of my goals in opening up the nook to you and to Tales to Terrify is to not only offer stories by well-known writers, but also to feature work by writers not yet heard from. The author of tonight's little fable, I Know What They Are, Christopher Mallory, is one of those. Chris lives outside of Baltimore, Maryland, and has been telling and writing stories since he was a child. His grandmother, who he says pretty much raised him and always told him that he had an overactive imagination. I used to hear that. (laughs) Having traveled the world as a loadmaster in the Air Force just added fuel to that fire, I fear. Now he is out of the Air Force, and he and his wife Robin have two children, Aaron and Lillian Rain, and two dogs. Chris says the writers who inspire him most are Stephen King, Chuck Palahniuk, Isaac Asimov, and George R. R. Martin. If you're interested in checking out some more of Chris's work, have a look at his Road Trip Down a Dark Memory Lane. I'll post the URL for that on the website also. Here is Christopher Mallory's I Know What They Are.
5: The sign read, We'll work for food. The homeless man holding the cardboard wears mismatched shoes and stinks of alcohol. There's a spark of lust in his otherwise worn eyes. He mumbles some vulgar line about my skirt while staring at my breasts and licking his lips. His voice slurs so I don't quite make it out. The message is still clear. Money isn't the only thing he'd like to get his hands on. Despite his rudeness, I realize he doesn't have a clue about surviving on the streets. His sign, Will Work for Food, doesn't work on anyone. With a different sign, he'd have a much better chance of squeezing a few extra coins from the morning commuters. He stumbles in front of me and reaches a hand out to steady himself. Another woman might get upset at this, but I deal with his type camping along these sidewalks on a daily basis. I do the proper thing and sidestep his reach, pay him a friendly smile, and continue walking down the block. They aren't all creeps. Most of them only want to master the art of looking pathetic while cradling their messages or shaking a cup with a few nickels and dimes inside. Joe, the legless Vietnam veteran, yells, God bless, ma'am. He's one of the regulars along Skid Row. He's been in the same spot on the corner since long before I moved to the city, and he'll probably be here long after I move on. He waves to me as I approach his busted wheelchair. I smile and wave back. The sign read, Disabled. Got no family. God bless. Good morning, Joe. How are you today? I drop a few quarters into the vintage He-Man lunch box he keeps on the pavement. Twice as fine as yesterday, he says. Only half as fine as tomorrow. While I'm searching my purse for another quarter, Joe calls out to someone else. God bless, sir. The man, Mr. Business Suit, shoulders by me, and spits at Joe before he shuffles off towards the side street. Hey, I yell. He flips me off without turning around. Seething, I want to give chase, but running in stilettos is nearly impossible. I'm about to kick them off when Joe says, Ain't no need for anger, ma'am. do it every day. I still tell him God bless just the same. Can't let a thing change your heart. Just can't. Understand? He's right. It won't change a thing. I take a deep breath and let it out slowly. Thanks, Joe. Oh, ma'am, thank you. Have a blessed day, he waves me away. Go on now. See you tomorrow, I ask. You know where to find me, he says with a laugh. Talks with Joe remind me of my father. That man knew what respect meant. He often said, Tammy, honor everyone until they prove to be unworthy. Then you tell them to kiss your ass. I think Joe lives by a slightly different philosophy. Someone must have taught him being spit on isn't reason enough to stand up for yourself. Maybe that's why he's still on the streets. The do not cross light flashes red as I join the crowd waiting for it to turn. All around me are office workers, lawyers, and doctors. I spy a young nurse wearing yellow scrubs standing to my left. She's bouncing along to a loud country song I hear escaping from her earphones. The light changes, but my attention is still on her. I'm curious how she'll react to the pregnant junkie that sits on the steps of the defunct bank up ahead. The sign read, Spare change, please? Trying to pick myself back up. The pregnant junkie begs, Help me for the sake of my unborn baby. The girl in scrubs averts her eyes. Like everyone else, she pretends that the poor and the homeless don't exist. It's disheartening. Farther down the drug block, two shady-looking fellows with vacant eyes and sallow faces covered in sores stand in the doorway of a burnt-out row home. A noxious plastic smell emanates from the glass pipes pressed to their lips. These addicts are by far the worst. Hardly anyone stops here. It's no surprise, really, who wants to give money that will be used for hard drugs. Who would even show that they carry anything valuable in this part of town? Anyone who did would likely be robbed or murdered by one of them for a coat or a pair of shoes they could sell to get their next hit. One of the men wears a clerical collar. A message is propped up on one of the steps. The sign read, In recovery, please help. My God, but it isn't fair to judge. I know that. I'm biased because I've seen how far someone can fall once they take up the pipe. Besides, mixed in with all the addicts, drunks, and lunatics are those who have lost everything through no fault of their own. I know how horrible that feels, too. I remember my father laughing hysterically on the front lawn as the flames devoured our home. My screaming mother broke free of the fireman's grip and ran toward the inferno. Nowadays, the sight of pain means nothing. People have become desensitized to the agony that surrounds them. Don't they realize anyone can end up like this? All it takes is a spark at the wrong time and place, and your whole world will burn to the ground. But that's okay. They can do what they want. I'll continue to nod and smile at these forsaken and offer the acknowledgement that they deserve. It's the right thing to do. Maybe one day I will tell someone about the gratitude that shines simply by making eye contact. The comedian is sleeping in the middle of the sidewalk. The sign read, If frustrated, throw quarters. I step over him and continue on my way. I take a shortcut through an alley. Standing at the mouth of the other end is a melancholy woman wearing a dirty lab coat. She covers both of her eyes with her palms. I make out the writing embroidered over the left breast pocket. It identifies the owner of the coat as L. Porter, Ph.D., below the name in bold letters, CERN. She lowers her hands when she hears my footsteps. The expression on her face is a familiar mixture of confusion and grief. As I walk closer, chills run down my spine. Her pain reminds me so much of my mother that I experience déjà vu. Without even realizing what I'm doing, I ask if she would like a cup of coffee. The sign read, I know what they are. Elle stares at the teenage waitress carrying a tray to our table. As the girl sets down the coffees, she shudders and says, Whoa, that's weird. I'm sorry, Elle says to her. You'll never be a veterinarian. Excuse me? Did you say vegetarian? Elle shrugs. I said you won't be a vet. The waitress fakes a smile and says, Oh, that's good, I guess. I don't like hats. She blinks. Dogs either. Thank you, I say to her. If we need anything else, we'll ask. Once gone, I attempt to strike up a conversation about the lab coat El wears. I tell her I've heard of CERN, but I can't remember how I know the name. She shrugs. I ask where she found it. She tells me it keeps her warm at night. I ask her where she's from. It doesn't matter where you're from. She says, It only matters where you used to be going. I begin to wonder why I'm sitting here. Thanks again for your kindness, L. blurts out. I really must be leaving. She bites her lip and then says, Also, I'm really sorry about your children. Children? Yes, I don't have any. I know. I'm not sure if I even want to be a parent. I consider it for a moment and decide I don't. It's a huge responsibility. What's your name? Tammy. Elle reaches over and takes my hand. Tears form at the corners of her eyes. I'm terribly sorry about your children, Tammy. It sounds like they died in a tragic accident. A fire. Her sincerity over my non-existent children dredges up another unwanted detail from my past. I don't know how to respond. If I even try, I'll break down. A few long seconds pass, then she releases my hand and quickly makes her way to the exit. Wait, I call out. Elle turns toward me. I shouldn't stop her, but I'm compelled to find out more. I notice the cardboard sign tucked under her arm. It read, I know what they are. When I catch up with her, I say, I want to ask. I hesitate. I mean, I noticed your sign? Yeah. She clutches it tighter. What are they? You don't want to know about them. Then why do you carry the sign? Why not? This isn't going anywhere. I try a different approach. Have you tried seeking help? I ask. Her eyes narrow. I sense she knows what I'm trying to do. They were better when they were secret, she says. It's okay if you don't want to tell me. I'm sorry I asked. Mandy? No, my name is Tammy. Sorry, I'm bad with names now. Elle takes a deep breath and lets it out slowly. You seem like a good person. If I tell you what they are, you will get hurt again. What do you mean, again? You know what? Never mind. It isn't important. Your choice, she says with a hint of sadness. Meet me tomorrow if you want. Before I can respond, she pushes open the door and runs down the block. As I watch her go, it occurs to me that L is the definition of insane. Even so, I can't deny the connection I feel. There's a crushing depth to her hopelessness which is pulling me in. It's dangerous, but I need to know what they are. The following day I find Elle sleeping in a cardboard box. Her blue Solo cup is on an overturned milk crate with only a few pennies inside. I grab some cash from my purse, but as I'm about to place it in I realize it'll most likely be stolen. Hey, it's Tammy, I say. Are you awake? She rolls over and grabs her cardboard sign and holds it over her face like a protective shield. Hey, calm down. I'm not going to hurt you. I try to reassure her by keeping my voice as slow and steady as possible. We had breakfast yesterday. Do you remember? She nods. I want to give you this. She takes the money gracefully from my hand. Thank you, L says. I'm sorry about the goosebumps. It's true, the hair on my arms is standing on end, and the word is streaked with a surreal tone. But I'm wearing a jacket today, so I don't see how she could know that. Someone must have walked over my grave, I laugh. She swallows hard and then shakes her head. They didn't walk over your grave, she says. They stole eight years and five months of your life. Once more, the hairs on my arms rise. A deep shiver accompanies the eerie sensation of déjà vu. 3 more years and 9 months plus i'm sorry you'll never find true love that's silly i'm 27 i don't have time to deal with serious relationships right now i know i'm really sorry you should leave now or you will keep getting hurt you haven't hurt me they ha-
1: quality sleep is essential for boosting energy recovery and well-being so take your sleep to the next level with sleep number
2: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoted for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ev,
5: she whispers, suddenly I'm sick to my stomach with excruciating pain. It's worse than any menstrual cramp I've ever experienced. And Elle doesn't look so hot either. Her face has gone pale and she looks worse than I feel. Are you all right? I ask between gritted teeth. Her eyes roll into the back of her head. One. Alpha. Six. Sigma. Confirmed. 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 She twitches. L? I ask, unsure as I back away from her. Calls. Vacate. Confirmed. She screams. Tammy! And retches. Gone. Fourteen. Change. Change. The pain in my gut fades to an intense, tingling sensation that pulsates through me. Oddly, I feel like one of the helpless fools who went outside to stare at the aftermath of the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. You should! She screeches. You should! You should! You should! should. She's not even looking at me anymore. Her head slams into her shoulder repeatedly. It looks like some kind of seizure, except she's still walking toward me. You should! You should! You should! I'm backed all the way against the brick wall. I should what? L, while only a few inches from my face, looks at me and says, Run! I spend the night hovering my face over the toilet bowl. Nothing stays down. Throwing up triggers indescribable feelings that come over me like waves of insects. Several times I wake in a cold sweat. Lingering images of nightmares bubble at the edges of my vision. For hours I switch the television from station to station intent on not viewing any single channel for longer than three seconds. By the time the sky lightens, the nausea has retreated and I'm not sure how much of the previous night really happened. All I want to do is run outside in my puke-stained nightgown, but I resist the urge. Instead, I take a shower in the dark and let the hot water sting my skin. Afterward, I put on makeup, high heels, and a little red dress. No one will be able to tell how terrible I feel. The sign read, We'll work for whatever. It's the guy with mismatched shoes. His sign changed, but he still smells like weak old beer. I can't bring myself to smile, so I nod instead. His eyes follow me as I walk by. He flicks his tongue at the air as if he were a reptile. Halfway up the block, I see Joe lying on the sidewalk. He's wrapped up in a tattered American flag. Ma'am, he says as I draw near. Surprises me to see him without his wheelchair. Where are the wheels, Joe? I hated the damn thing, he mutters and looks away. The sign read, Where are my legs at? As I move on, I see the man, Mr. Business Suit, walk by and spit. Instead of running away like before, he stands there and watches the glob of saliva drip from Joe's forehead. After a moment of deep concentration, the man kneels, then takes a seat on the curb next to Joe. At the corner, the do-not-cross light is flashing red. The crowd doesn't wait for it to turn. They ignore the traffic and stampede into the intersection. All around me, brakes squeal and horns blare. The nurse is wearing pink scrubs today. She's head-banging to heavy metal music, but the cord of her earphones isn't plugged into anything. In the shadows, the junkie woman is on the steps of the abandoned bank, but she's noticeably thinner. The sign read, Thanks for the abortion. Saving for another. A little farther down the block, the creepy ex-preacher and his decaying friends hold up a piece of cardboard. The sign read, Life's better in the gutter than the comedian. The sign read, If frustrated, throw a brick. I take the alley shortcut and I find L. Porter, Ph.D., CERN. She makes her way toward me in a series of jerking motions which remind me of a calf learning how to walk for the first time. The sign read, I know what they are. I act like everyone else. I put my head down and pretend she isn't there. A few more steps to go and I'll be out of the alley. I'm going blind, Elle screams. Tammy, is that you? I don't answer. Tammy, please. Yeah, I say while edging past her. It's me, but I'm late for work. I made a mistake, she says. They're taking my sight now. You know how I know. I don't care. I don't want to have anything to do with her. But the simple question crosses my lips anyway. Oh, because I don't care that I'm going blind. That's how I know. That's how they get you. She sees something across the street that catches her attention. Oh, no, Elle says. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. There's something seriously wrong with you. I want you to stay away from me, okay? Just leave me alone. You don't get it. The man across the street doesn't remember how much he loved his family. Nothing you say makes any sense. But it does, though. Somehow I know she's speaking the truth. The guy across the street hates his family. I'm as certain of that as I am of my own name. Here, take this, and I'll leave you alone. Elle holds out an envelope. I don't have long anyway. Fine, just leave me alone from now on. I reach for it, and Elle grabs my hand. She says... You're a good person, Tammy. smile on her face fades, but you're losing that. At work, I sit at my desk and stare at the envelope. What's inside could be dangerous. I don't want to find out. I consider throwing it away, but instinct tells me that it could also be important. Ultimately, I decide to lock it in my desk drawer instead. If Elle keeps her word and stays away from me, with luck, I'll forget about all of this. The weekend comes, and with it, insanity. Thoughts of L are stapled inside my head. Several times the feeling of deja vu stabs me like a harpoon. Shivers attack for no discernible reason. Crazy thoughts and visions flash through my mind, and I know that I'm being watched from every reflective surface. Instead of sleeping, I rearrange my furniture over and over again. Instead of eating, I count and recount the number of ice cubes in the freezer. By Monday morning, every picture in my home is defiled and turned backward. All the broken mirrors are thrown in the basement. Each doorknob is covered in black electrical tape. And the collection of bent spoons and other ruined silverware have found a new home in the recycling bin. At sunrise, I visit the doctor. It's insomnia, that's all. It's not true, but I keep telling myself that. In the examination room, I stare at my bloodshot eyes in a mirror. My irises expand and contract in a strange rhythm. I go as long as I can without blinking. When I finally do, a tsunami of tears rush down my cheeks. The doctor walks in and stops dead in his tracks. Deja vu. That's so strange. Then he says, Hello, Tammy. What brings you in today? Another insane thought flashes through my head. I forget where I am or even who I am. Feels like a full minute goes by before my vocal cords respond. Doc, I ask, are you happy working here? Well, that's a strange question. He smiles and says, I love my job. Wouldn't trade it for the world. He's telling the truth, but it wasn't always true. A second before walking into the room, he wanted to transition into neurology. He would work for years to discover a cure for a major neurological disease. I'm sorry, I say. He cocks his head to the side and serves me an odd look. The sign read, Now Hiring. The guy with the mismatched shoes is barefoot. His feet are bleeding from pacing back and forth over broken beer bottles. Joe is in the lap of Mr. Business Suit. I watch as Joe spits on the man's face. The man says, Thank you, boss. Thank you. The sign read, Phi." Crowds scatter like roaches as I walk toward them. Some go aimlessly in circles. Others hide behind dumpsters or disabled vehicles. I feel an electrical shock and experience deja vu whenever I am close to someone. The nurse is now in black scrub. She's swallowed her earphones. The cord dangles from the corner of her mouth. A chalk outline and police tape cover the steps where the junkie woman sits. Her cardboard lays abandoned in the gutter. The sign read, I miss my children. I search the alleys, but I can't find Elle anywhere. I need to tell her I understand. Maybe we can help each other. I call out to the ex-preacher and company. I ask if they've seen the woman in the lab coat. She with God, one of them shouts while holding up a cardboard cross. The sign read, God never existed. We are God. Piles of bricks litter the sidewalk. The comedian is gone, but there's a blood-stained pizza box with some writing on it. The sign read, Stop, I didn't mean it. It's the funniest thing I've seen all week. The lights in my building are still off. It's quiet. Every office is empty, and I'm sure it's abandoned because of L. I I run to my desk and open the drawer. When I see the letter, a violent chill assaults a spot deep within my soul. One year and one month. I say unexpectedly. A mad urge to know everything about this situation replaces a thought, though I can't remember what that thought was. At that, I chuckle, then laugh, and then fall into a fit of laughter I can't control. Of course you want to know what's going on. I say to myself, the thing you wanted most in the world was to not know. I rip open the envelope and unfold the letter. There's a picture of two smiling people wearing white lab coats. At the bottom, someone had written, Lauren and John, forever. There's a date. Less than three weeks ago. I put the picture aside and read through the letter. John, it read, I can't understand how you suddenly have no desire to finish our research. The project is producing unexpected results, which... It explains that L was close to figuring out the mechanics of a quantum wave collapse. Even though John decided to walk away, she continued to make major breakthroughs. She proved that we don't live in an infinite multiverse. She believed that life forms living outside of time and space are responsible for choosing what becomes reality. The new model predicts that possibilities are eliminated by them. They consume until one outcome is left, which becomes our present. There are indications that we can feel changes brought about by them. She thought some are responsible for providing probable events while others force the least likely outcomes. This would explain the chaotic nature of the universe. If they're intelligent, they choose our fate. The carefully written letter is signed, Lauren Porter. Below the signature is a postscript written more hastily in different colored ink. I know you're hurting from the sudden breakup. I led you on for many years, but you're not what I want. Tirely my fault. Sorry. On a professional level, very great things are happening. I wish you would come back. I've got chills just thinking about it. I don't bother to lock the door when I leave the office. I don't even close it. My attention is captured by the night sky. There's a tint to it. A familiar flickering orange glow. The smell of smoke is heavy in the air. The sound of screaming grows as the insanity spills out of Skid Row. I look around and realize I'm in the center of it all. I decide to walk home a different, longer route. It's time I saw the world from an unexplored street for once. I want to be somewhere that isn't as tainted. A woman sprints by. She shudders. Déjà vu. You're not going to beat that cancer now. I scream. Sorry. A man and his son cower behind an overturned delivery truck. I see the hair standing up on the boy's arms. Your life just got shorter by 45 years in three days. A bus boy smashes tables outside of a cafe with a baseball bat. His jaw clenches shut as I approach. I see his future that slipped away. Hey, I call to him. He looks up, but I don't have the heart to tell him. Never mind. I say. I make my way into a strange yet beautiful part of the city. A blue neon sign in a window flashes free tarot reading. Why not? I sit at the small table in the middle of the room. In the corner there's a tiny black and white television displaying a local news station. The picture's fuzzy and the sound is turned all the way down. But I can make out the two words that flash below the reporter. Martial law. While I'm watching the news, a fat woman wearing nothing but a bathrobe and a turban sits across from me. Whatever you once wanted to be, I say. I'm sure it wasn't this. Who's the psychic here? It must be nice to tell fortunes, I say. All I see are dead futures. She winks. This card, she informs me, points to death. At home, the sounds of mayhem seem far off. But I know the storm is still following me. For the time being, the power is still on and the Internet still works. So maybe I can find a way to end this. I search for any information about Lauren Porter. I discover a missing person's write-up on her, but not much else. A cross-query turns up a related article from the other side of the country. It's about John, her husband. He committed a very public suicide earlier today. Authorities are baffled by a sudden mass hysteria over the scientist's death. A representative from CERN had one comment. No comment. What the fuck did you do? That question triggers a vision. Elle in her lab. Parasites cover her. A wide variety of leeches, ticks, and tapeworms. Thousands of them. No, millions. They're the bad ones she warned about. They're the kind that take the best potential and all of them are feeding from her. They erase any good intention, each hope and every dream. The scene changes. John Porter screams into the night. Like L, the things dig into him. He jumps from the top of a New York City skyscraper. Some of the things cling to him as he falls to his death, but with nothing left to take, most release and are carried away by the wind. Like snowflakes, they blanket a large portion of the city. Another flash, I'm in the alley talking with L for the first time. Countless masses leap from her and attach to me. As I walk down the street, they leap from me and latch onto others. The missing pieces appear and fall into place. With it comes understanding. Every time they attack, a person will feel deja vu. It's how our minds interpret the loss of what we want most in life. Victims don't realize the possible futures that are shredded. Victims can't know about those longer versions of their lives since now they're impossible. Carriers can tell. L could see what they stole, and so can I. The things breed in the wake of their host's lost potential. Their numbers continue to grow, and our sense of reality blurs more and more. I snap out of the trance. My breathing is weak and shallow. The computer and other items that were on my desk are now scattered across the floor. How much of me is now gone? I scream. What else are you going to take? After the anger subsided, I pick the monitor up from the floor and place it back on the desk so I can continue to work. Time is short. I hear the screaming mob. The riots are getting closer. My block will be overrun within the hour. I decide to focus on what I can still control. I search the web, looking for others like myself. It isn't difficult to find information about the outbreak. News travels across the networks like flies crawling on a decaying corpse. My eyes widen as real-time reports fill the screen. Updates claim the government has contained it to the two major cities. Others add the rate of infection is decreasing. Experts are flying in to assess damages. All of it completely useless. No one knows what they are. My body seizes up as I'm forced to witness another flipbook of images. I feel the remains of a phantom desire fade as a new one takes its place. They want something from me. Something only I can provide. Once I'm sure of the question, my fingers type the answer. I know what they are. I laugh, cry, and scream at the same time. It's a trifecta of emotions, just like the night I played with matches. The sounds I make are the same as my father, brother, and mother, respectively. And just like then, the crying stops abruptly. I update social media networks about the things I've learned. I share the story of Elle with whoever will listen. Eventually, my words are parroted by others. Hundreds of emails about the plague pour in by the second. As I'm typing a reply to a worried mother in Europe, the power finally dies. I'm disappointed, but my mind is at ease because I've told people what they are. People know. The gospel will continue to spread. My apartment is dark now, but the glow of the burning city provides enough light to make my way to the kitchen. My part in this is done. I'm done. I find a sharpie and some cardboard. I sit on the floor and scrawl the perfect message. I read the sign over several times while smiling. Once satisfied, I put it under my arm and leave my apartment to join the chaos. What better accessory could a woman possibly carry around when the world is ending? The sign read, Now you know what they are. Now they will find you. Sorry.
0: thank you for that, Chris. Christopher Mallory has a strong belief, he says, in freely sharing his work. To that end, he has launched a site called Stealth Fiction, on which completed works of his and those of friends can be downloaded for free under Creative Commons as a PDF or an EPUB. The same work is also sold for a small fee on Amazon, on iBook, and other channels with Smashwords. He says, the way I look at it is, if people like a story, I want them to give it away. If they like it enough to contribute, the option to purchase an official ebook is still there. To date, the following pieces are available or will be completed and released soon. The story we just heard, I Know What They Are... And these bad dreams combined are now up. Master Stargazer and Mega Millions will be up within a few days. And the price to see the dead will go up in March. Now, frequently, I do not sleep. And when sleep is slow to take me, I listen. I listen to stories. And frequently, I listen to LibriVox. Nicole Doolin's is a voice I heard on LibriVox and immediately contacted her to see if she'd be interested in reading for us here in the Nook. I know what they are was read for us tonight by Ms. Doolin. She is one of our highly prized writer narrators, in fact. In addition to reading to us here in the Nook, she also writes fiction, poetry, plays, which have been performed in festivals here, there, and many places. Her written work has appeared in Wilderness House Literary Review, 3AM Magazine, 365 Tomorrows, Flash Shot, and the literary anthology, Wilderness House Literary Review, The Best of Volume 3. As a voice actor, Nicole has performed in various mediums and produces a podcast called Audio Literature Odyssey, in which she narrates classical literature. Visit the Audio Literature Odyssey site for more information and listen to some excellent stories. I'll post that below, too. There you will find some more terrifying and not-so-terrifying tales by the likes of Poe, Austin, James, Wilde, and more. And thank you for this, Nicole, and for all the other things I know you've got in the pipeline for us and elsewhere. I hope you, well, I I hope you enjoyed this story. It's one of those that begins in a gentle kind of way. begins in a world you think you know and are familiar with. Then, bit by bit, that world shifts, alters, thaws, resolves itself into a nightmare while still maintaining a sense of, this is the way the world is, yes? Yes all rather like the long view of life, isn't it? Well, that, as we say, will be that. I would have you be up and doing, bright and chipper, for your stroll home in the coyote-humping night. Well, (laughs) they're probably not there, but, uh, but if you do see something, something strange, something not usual, just pay no attention to it. Don't read the signs. Ignore the impulse to check your face in a passing window. Don't look at others as you go by on the street. You are who you are, and they who they are. And the night is just for heading homeward in, and is a place for having pleasant dreams. Hmm?